December, Andrew Dambina interviewed forthright Australian winemaker Dave Powell of Powell & Son on making wine with his son Callum in the Barossa Valley. He talks to him now about wine in Australia generally. Hi folks, it's David Powell here. I'm the uh, owner and winemaker of Powell & Son in the Barossa Valley. Powell & Son's a relatively new company, it's only about five years old, but I'd spent the previous 25 years creating and building my former business, Torbrick, which some of you may or may not have heard of. In essence, there's not a lot of difference. In fact, all bar one of the vineyards that I work with at Powell & Son were vineyards that I work with at Torbrick. Oh. The difference is I it's called Powell & Son because I started the company with my oldest son, Callum. So Callum and I sat down and discussed the philosophy of what we wanted and Callum had spent a year living in the Northern Rhone so he was strongly influenced by that. So we certainly um, probably fine-tuned things a bit. Okay, and Torbrek was an amazing revival project that you had, wasn't it, from almost dead vines? You said you worked with some of the same vines. Was it some of those that you'd revived years ago or were there also some different ones? Yes, it was. In fact, ironically, one of them, which is a now 120-year-old Greenwich vineyard, I have to admit for the first time only last week we actually had irrigation put on the vineyard because um, anybody that wants to deny climate change is kidding themselves and we've had to admit that as much as it's lovely to dry grown vines, the environment in Australia has got us such these days that you need to have irrigation on a vineyard for insurance just to get the vines through those tough times which seem to be more prevalent and probably going to get worse. Do you see much in the way of fire damage around uh, vineyards in the Barossa Valley? Not so much. This, uh, there's been no fires, well there's been a small one near the Barossa but in the Barossa but nothing of any significance. Mm. The last one a few years ago that got right up to the outer fringes of the Barossa, it was a bit later in the growing season, so there was some smoke damage, but in general, the Barossa doesn't really get affected by fire. It is one of the stellar wine regions of uh, Australia, recognised internationally. You're here in Hong Kong now presenting some of your wine at the annual Kerry Wines uh, Rendezvous. What can people expect from Powell & Son if they don't know it? You know, I've been making wine now for 30-odd years, and so I have a certain style. But I think with the influence of my son and being partly his business, Business. I mm. certainly wanted to let him have a have a say in what we were doing. So we're making wines probably a little bit on the lighter side now. Remember, we're talking uh, about the Barossa Valley now. I'm not talking about making Pinot Noir and Yarra Valley, yeah, so yeah. that's a relative term. Also making probably a tenth of the wine I used to make, and we, we run all the vineyards we take fruit from, so we have oh, complete okay. control of the process. And I think we, between us, are making some of the greatest wines I've been involved in. I don't want to say better than Torbrick, because that's not fair to Torbrick, but I certainly think I'm making as good a wines, if not you know more balanced wines, than I've ever made. And I knew that no matter how clever I am as a winemaker, I can't make great wine without great raw material. I was incredibly pleased and honoured actually that a lot of growers, great vineyard owners, mm. I'd formed with them over 30 odd years of being in the Bross, a lot of them were happy to come with me. So it actually turned out to be oh. quite easy, but that was a surprise. To say I was somewhat concerned about it after I first left Torbrek and started thinking again was an understatement. It turned out to be a lot easier than I thought, and I've been incredibly grateful for that fact. How has it been working with your son, you know, a, a younger generation, maybe approaching wines in a different way than you did when you were his age? It's probably a question you should put to him because. <laughs> Uh, I am somewhat opinionated and fairly set in my opinion because I've been doing things for a long time and somewhat successfully. So I think it's probably been in some ways hard for Callum to match it with me, although I'm saying that he's a smart young man and a couple of years ago finished his enology degree, so he's a qualified winemaker, whereas I'm not, working on the ground. I've actually enjoyed it, but I think for Callum it's probably been difficult because working for your dad, and especially your father who has a fairly big reputation and a fairly strong opinion and is fairly forceful, I suspect it's a hell of a lot harder on Callum than it is on me. Has he turned your head in any ways to bring an attitude that he wants to impart on the winemaking? 
I don't know whether he's bought anything new. It's more so using um, Callum as a sounding board or him with me where we've sat down and basically looked at every bottle of wine I made at Torbreck and we said, okay, what can we do to perhaps improve things? Mm. We've talked about, as I said, running the vineyards ourselves means we have complete control of the grape growing, not just waiting for the fruit yeah. to turn up at the winery gate. We are making a lot less wine so we can give all the, every single batch of wine more attention, looking at our oak usage and how we could change that. So there's been several things, I think, looking at the Barossa Valley or the Greater Barossa is made up of two subregions, the Barossa Valley on the west, the Eden Valley on the east. The Eden Valley is higher and cooler, quite a different climate, so you grow slightly different there's still Shiraz, but slightly different style. So, and because of Callum having spent a year with Jean-Louis Chave and Hermitage was very much more interested in making wines along that lines. I mean, we're both aware that we're in the Southern Hemisphere, not in, in, in Europe, but at the same time, you know, so I think as much as anything, we're just having Callum as a fresh set of eyes. And I must admit, I'm, I'm not one these days who's very good at people telling me I could perhaps still learn something, but I'm quite happy to actually take it from my son because most of what he's learned and his questions have come from the fact that he's my son. So I suppose if anybody can get away with telling me I'm a stubborn old fool and need to look, it's probably him. Right. You mentioned about the cool and warmer parts of uh, the Barossa. Shiraz in Australia in particular has maybe had a reputation or some years ago as being, you know, very big, very bold wines. Do you think that even in the warmer parts of Australia, going wider than where you are, there is an attempt to kind of rein it in a bit? Yeah, there is, but that's twofold. I think, and particularly with the influence of Robert Parker and his day and mm. so on, of which I benefit from, so I certainly can't complain, but a lot of the wines that were getting very high scores, and even in my opinion, were too over-the-top, too alcoholic, too rich, too ripe. Yeah. I'd like to believe I never made those sort of wines at Torbreak, but I was certainly pushing it a bit, yeah. but some of my contemporaries were going a lot further. Mm. The thing for me now is, as we know in life in general, the pendulum very rarely settles in the middle. It tends to go from one side to the other and I think at the moment we've almost got a case in Australia where people are going too far the other way where they're picking their fruit when it's underripe and trying to make lower alcohol wines that perhaps don't suit the region that they're grown in. They're trying to grow grapes in somewhere like the Barossa Valley. It's not a hot area, but it's a warm area, but try to make them look like they're grown in a cooler area, and that's just lunacy because that's not the case. At the moment, it's um, I think the jury's still out to figure out whether we actually get back to the sweet spot, which is what we're trying to hit with Powell and Son. Even going wider after decades, as you say, of uh, winemaking and producing in Australia, do you feel quite optimistic and pleased that Australia has taken on more variety? Varietals these days, different styles. Is it, is it one of the healthier times for winemaking in your country? Once again, in some ways, yes. I think it's always good that people are experimenting. I think when people think there's nothing original, nothing new to look at, you might as well stop doing what you're doing, and I think that goes for anybody in life. If I think I've made the best wine I've ever made, I should stop doing it, quite yeah. frankly. In saying that, though, there's two sides there. The other side of it, of course, is in Australia, like most of the world, there's a huge push towards natural wine and all this sort of thing, and I've been drinking great natural wines all my life. A lot of the old-school great natural winemakers like Thierry Alamon and Cornas and Alphonse Mulot and yeah. Sancerre and stuff are good friends of mine. The trouble is I think a lot of these days what's masquerading under the term of natural wine is absolute rubbish and so I think some of these things are a bit trend driven and that I think unfortunately skews what's really going on and I think we need to come back a bit more to a sensible middle. You mentioned that your production now in Powell and Son is smaller than you previously worked with. Do you have plans though, even though it's early days now, to, to try out some other varietals or blends that you haven't uh, yet got into? Not myself personally, I mean I make about a tenth of the wine, we I should say, make about a tenth of the wine I did at Torbreck. 
I am pretty happy with what we do. In saying that, I've um, given Callum as much latitude as he wants to do anything. So there's a couple of varieties he eventually wants to get planted and work with. So Callum's, you know, pretty interested in planting some Nebbiolo up in the Eden Valley and we want to get something like maybe some Grenache Blanc and some of the lesser-known Chateauneuf depart varieties growing in the Barossa. But I'm happy to leave that to Callum. I mean, I want Callum to feel that, you know, he's 25. Instead of me doing it all and him just following me, I'm I'm happy for him to, you know, have his head. He's also been making some natural wine, but true natural wine, you know, with no introduction of yeast or sulphur or anything, doing some whole bunch ferments, just small batches, but off some of our best vineyards. I'm these days more than happy just to make sure the the ship stays steady and make sure everything's paid, but let Callum have the ability, as I did when I was his age, to experiment a bit. I don't want him to feel like he's just doing what he's told and not having his chance to look at things himself. And so far, from what you have produced... Food pairing is getting more and more popular everywhere in the world, no no more so than Hong Kong, I've got to say. With Cantonese food, which is sometimes not overly heavy in either spice or heavy sauces, are there any of your wines that you'd recommend to go with something like either a steamed fish or a roast chicken or anything like that? Well, first of all, we make a couple of white wines. So we make a Riesling from the Eden Valley and a Roussan Marsan from the Brossa Valley. Yeah. So those two wines, of course, white wine with seafood always works. I also think, you know, the Brossa, Australia in general, as you noticed and, and mentioned, and in Australia in particular, is very famous for Shiraz. But one of the, the styles of wine we make, which I think is our most successful wine, particularly when it comes to being generous for food matching, are our medium-bodied wines, so our Grenache-based wines. Yeah. So I think many people are surprised, and I've had luckily travelled the world and eaten most cuisines, and, you know, yes, the big Shirazes tend to be more with red meat and things like that, but Grenache-based wines are incredibly versatile. Yeah. And I say to people, Grenache Noir is warm climate Pinot Noir, so anything you can match with a Pinot Noir, so chicken, and pasta and all these sorts of things, you can match with Grenache, whereas Shiraz may be, in some cases, a bit heavy-handed. But at the end of the day, our Grenache-based wines, I think, are some of our most versatile. And with Asian food, which is what I've experienced, whether it be here or in India or even in Japan, you know, Grenache-based wines, because they're more medium-bodied and a bit more giving, I think they tend to actually work... You know, everybody wants Shiraz from Australia, but it doesn't mean it's the only thing we do and the only thing we do well. Sure. Finally, if listeners would like to come and visit your vineyard... uh, it's a smaller production, as you say, but are they welcome to turn up? Do you have a cellar door? We have a tasting room. You can contact us via our website, which is just www.powellandsun.com, and we're more than happy to organise a private tasting for people to come in as a group whenever and get in touch with us, organise and we'd love to see you. By appointment, sounds good. That was winemaker Dave Powell of Quality Producer Powell and Son in the Barossa Valley, Australia, and he was talking to Tuesday food and drink reporter Andrew Tambina. Mm-hmm.